before we rev up the Todd Father and get started talking about the Stranger Things 3 finale, I want to take a quick second and thank our friends over at True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar. Simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all areas. the sound slow to single speed we're about to close out season three Stranger Things 3, Chapter 8, The Battle of Starcourt, and Season 3 overall. It's all over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler, and if we did this correctly, then uh, you are you are about to be joined by the person who just sang an epic duet with me, Mike Bloom. Uh, Mike, if we, if we got our ducks in a row, then this podcast started off with a music number, and if we did not get our ducks in a row, then this is awkward. Uh, well, it's awkward no matter what, Wiggly Buns. I'm just happy yeah. to get on the radio with you <laughs> to talk through this finale. Oh my god. So yeah, so Mike and I, we are on the radio with each other at this point. We have been in uh, in a secret underground bunker recording our Stranger Things podcasts all season long together uh, for this final podcast. We, much like the party itself, we've parted ways. We're communicating via radio, uh, and it's it's very sad. Yeah, it's very it's very sad. I miss you very much. Mike. I, same to you. I'll be back in Thanksgiving and Christmas. Don't worry. Yes. Uh, it, it was a little weird though because I remember like packing up my stuff and leaving the studio, and then I remember going back and doing the same thing over again for some reason while it. Peter Gabriel played. But it was still emotionally affecting nonetheless. Okay, so we're talking about the final episode of season three of Stranger Things. We have finally arrived at the finale. We appreciate your patience all along the way as we have been slow crawling through Stranger Things. This, of course, is not our final episode of the Stranger Podcast, the much-hyped feedback show. It's still on the way. That's posting on July 24th, uh, and we've got great plans. It's going to be a great podcast. It's going to be fantastic. We want your feedback for it. Postshowrecaps.com slash feedback is our feedback form you can also tweet at us mike is at a mike bloom type i am at round howard we are at post show recaps on twitter uh 
That's I mean, that's the business. Let's get into this. I mean, if you're listening to this, weeks have passed since Stranger <laughs> Things came out. Uh, so I feel silly with the spoiler warning, but there's a lot of highly sensitive material that lies beyond this filibuster. <laughs> so turn off the phone. Turn off the phone if you haven't gotten yeah, through. Tear it out of the, the wall and throw it like Joyce did at one point. Oh, I thought that you were saying like if you had like some sort of infectious upside down monster goo in your leg that you needed to telekinetically. Oh, well, just don't let Jonathan reach into your leg full fingered and pull something oh. out. That was I'll, I'll admit I am someone who is not very keen on like the body horror stuff. Yeah. I was pretty OK for the vast majority of this season. But I mean, we were in the room together while we watched the finale, which we'll definitely get into during some parts of this. But that was like one part I really had to watch through my fingers uh, that one yeah. might have been the unintentional scariest part of the entire season for me yeah i'm sad that we didn't get to record the finale in person but at the very least we got to watch it together in person and yeah this is like at the top of the episode you were just like gobbly black blah blah you're just like uh you were like an exploding rat when you saw <laughs> that and another moment later in the episode that we have already alluded to uh slash potentially we have already sang yes uh i will say Right off the top here, I'm not sure if you agree with me, Josh. Best Stranger Things finale ever at this huh. point. And well, uh, wow. Yeah, and I, I, I think works. that's high commendations, uh, at least from my perspective, because I think Stranger Things does endings really, really well. They re- do a great job of, despite getting all these disparate, almost tentacles of storylines out with all these characters doing different things, they always find a way at the end of every season to retract those tentacles back into the body and to bring everything back together. I don't know. That we'll definitely get into it, but there was so much going on, and I really do feel like they ended things on such a a simultaneously saddening yet exciting note that i cannot wait to get into this with you i've been percolating since i've rewatched this finale to to, to get out all my thoughts about it yeah i mean i definitely think it's better than the season two finale for sure uh like i there's there's aspects of the season two finale that i don't even remember but i think you're right that the season finales of stranger things are typically among the strongest episodes of any given season i love that first season finale so much just because that's where you really like get to pull the hood back on who hopper is and everything that he's gone through there's like those very emotional flashbacks as he's risking life and limb to go into the upside down with Joyce and everything to save Will. Uh, I just, I love I love that episode but what I love about this episode and now we can talk about it and we're going to talk about in full detail right now like a lot happens in a very permanent capacity or at least in kind of a game-changing capacity. There's some things that they can walk back for sure, but there's some status quo shifts that are happening here. Hopper is maybe dead. I mean, we're, su- <laughs> we're supposed... He's nearly dead. <laughs> you know, I think that he's probably nearly dead, which means slightly alive. Uh, you know, the, the show wants us to believe... Wait, 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 wait. The, okay, this needs to happen now. You got Carrie Elways on I know. for season three. We need... <laughs> Billy we, Crystal. We need... Miracle Max, and we need. Was it? Was it Carol? I forget her last name from Unbreakable uh, Kimmy Schmidt. Was I think yes. she played his wife? But we definitely need him to be brought back to life in some capacity, whether it's in Russia, whether it's in the Upside Down by this crony couple, and then he'll Carol Kane. Carol Kane. That's who it is. Yeah, yeah. Season four, chapter one, Miracle Max. Much like season two, chapter one, Mad Max. I think is uh, that's going to be that's that's our early prediction for the for the first episode of season four. Speaking of uh, which. Uh, so I think, you know, we were going into a pretty highly 
uncontested battle with our predictions. I cannot remember at this point whatsoever. What were oh, our, I've got it. What were our predictions for the, the finale for the Battle of Starcourt? Uh, I thought that a giant-sized Holly Wheeler was going to battle the Mind Flayer. <laughs> okay. Uh, and you believed that some sort of legal custody battle would occur. And I think that you probably are much closer. <laughs> Stop saying so, much. So I think that ultimately we split this 4-4, four, four, so nobody wins as <laughs> usual. Uh, so this was all for nothing. Good night, folks. Uh, so you could, yeah, there's, it's a, it's a no prize for both you and I on that front. Uh, but in terms of main developments, we're, we're led to believe that Hopper is dead. The show certainly wants us, uh, to, you know, the, the, the information within the show's universe Every, everybody believes that Hopper is dead. I think you and I will talk about the fact that that's almost certainly not true. Hopper is almost certainly still alive, but it really doesn't matter. The effect is the same. A really important character is at the very least off on a different board, if not off the board uh, entirely. Uh, we lose another main character. Of course, we, we knew this was going to come. Billy's dead. Uh, and I think it was done in a very emotional way. I, th- I thought that that whole sequence was done really well. Uh, you know, Dacre Montgomery, who enters season three, uh, playing the biggest D-bag on Stranger <laughs> Things. And probably still the biggest D-bag, even as he dies. But a D-bag that you understand a little bit. <laughs> it went more. from D-bag to dead bag. Uh, the party is broken up. This is a huge status quo shift where people are uh, not everybody's in Hawkins anymore. Joyce makes good on her early season idea of packing up and leaving. Jonathan's leaving Hawkins right before his senior year. Will is gone. And since Hopper is gone as well and potentially dead, Eleven is moving with the Byers family as well. So your prediction of this being a season about growing apart uh, comes true, though, in a way where like everybody's really reluctant to do it nobody really wants to to split apart so it's like it's a little bittersweet in in a way that could have just been outright tragic i mean it's a bittersweet symphony it's a life uh, that could have that could have played but yeah, i mean it <laughs> no, could have considering how yeah anachronistic yeah. they were getting with some of the musical choices I, I know that you know your mileage may vary as to whether or not i think we're going to talk a lot about disseminating hopper's final words which end up being uh you know scrawled on that piece of paper when he tried to make that heart to heart with 11 in the first episode of season three that she ends up reading here which sort of end up being at least for the moment the last echoes we get of this character there's a lot to break down in there but i think that there's a reason why that vo covers you know them moving away and then some is because it is talking about this idea of growing apart and the hurt that comes with it but to quote another 80s song it hurts so good you know that this idea that it sometimes it's okay to hurt because it means that you feel and to yeah. feel is to live. And if you're not living, then what the heck are you doing here? You're just staying in your cave the entire time. I think it's it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful monologue. Got me choked up. Absolutely. Just from the circumstances as well to know, you know, the the relationship that Hopper and Eleven had built, the, the ebbs and flows, even to the point where they have this final reconciliation at the fountain where, you know, she says, I want to fight. And he says, I know you do, but you need to be safe. And just knowing, as you mentioned, his his own history with having a child and losing her and him being so self-sacrificial. It's just it's a, it's a beautiful way to end things while simultaneously saddened, but I am so pumped 
for the opportunities that this opens up. I'm going to make a comparison to a franchise that you and I both have so much adoration for, Josh. Let's say that Stranger Things Season 1 is The Fast and the Furious. <laughs> this is something new and surprising that no one really knew, you know, how it would do, came out of nowhere. Season yeah. 2, Too Fast, Too Furious. They said, okay, let's sort of take the same type of formula, we'll bring in some new characters, and uh, but we'll do more of the same. And people were not too keen on it. I'm going to say that Stranger Things Season 3 is the Fast Five. Of, wow. I'm, I'm skipping Tokyo Drift. because Yeah, you're speeding right past it. Because it's a garbage movie. But if you want to oh, check, check that out, listen to our uh, Fast and the Furious coverage from several years ago at this point. Just because I think I had so much fun watching this season, more so than Season 2. And I think you could tell the showrunners, the writers, and the actors were having more fun as well in both the highs and the lows. It really feels like they were taking some of the more outlandish ends of the spectrum and blowing them out. But it was done so to a point where you could have a musical number exist in the same episode as this beloved father figure get eviscerated and his poor, you know, adopted daughter having to deal with losing another parent figure. This poor woman, Joyce Byers, can never get a date again, apparently. She must be cursed or something. She's just, I feel horrible for her. It, it really hits all these emotional levels that really settles nicely and makes me actually look really fondly back on the choices made in the first couple episodes where really I was maybe a bit more tepid. Now that I'm realizing the more adventurous choices they were making over the course of this entire season, culminating in the huge seismic shift in these characters at the end of it, I gained a lot more appreciation for it in retrospect. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely still things about season three that I didn't love, but I, I think by and large, I, I like this season much more than I like season two, which was the season that started getting me a little cranky about Stranger Things. And I think that I've come by the end of season three to appreciate a lot of the things that Stranger Things does really, really well. And one of those things is this show just knows how to have a really good time. Yeah. Uh, and, and for the most part, I've been watching Stranger Things in a cave. I'm often, I'm, I'm often been watching this show in isolation and getting to watch season three with a buddy definitely helped. Uh, I think being able to, to watch this show with a like-minded community of people uh, who you enjoy watching TV with, a hive mind of people, whether it's somebody in person or if it's your friends online or whoever, uh, I think it, this is definitely a, a, a really fun community-driven show. Um, and, and, and I definitely enjoyed where we ended up here in season three by the end. Uh, and speaking of where we ended up in season three, three by the end i wonder if there are people out there who missed the fact that there is uh, a cold ending <laughs> to season three because we all a, know stranger things likes it cold that loves it cold uh there is the there's a post credit scene for those of you who missed it which we'll describe here so uh just go back and check that out if you missed it or haven't heard about it by now i'm sure you have uh but there's a post credit scene in Stranger Things season three, where we go back to Russia, where, where the whole season began. Uh, there's everything with uh, don't bring in the American yet, which is a, a whole bag of worms that we'll talk about. There's, I think, the obvious answer and then maybe some of the more outside the box answers that we could possibly talk about there. Uh, but speaking of outside the box, at the end of the season, the final images, there's a Demogorgon. There's a Demogorgon back on the show, Mike. But more importantly, there's a Demogorgon back on the show and it's in frickin' Russia. Yeah. So the Upside Down is officially gone global <laughs> so what, what a great uh, franchise the upside down started off as really a small business only hitting one small town in season one and now yeah. they've expanded they're franchising everywhere josh 
So there's a there's a lot going on that this finale sets up. Uh, as we're recording this, we have no idea what the future of Stranger Things looks like yet. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, I think it's highly likely that the future has been more clarified by Netflix. As we're recording this, uh, the news has broken uh, that Stranger Things, Netflix says that Stranger Things is its most watched four-day debut ever this, the third season. So clearly it did incredibly well. Uh, we've all, you know, within like the first day, you and I, Mike, we had heard from people who had like already binged the whole thing. So it's really no surprise uh, that this show ended up landing as hard as it did. So I'm sure we're going to hear something about season four uh, at some point in the near future, if it hasn't already broken already. Um, But I feel like one of the things that I enjoyed the most about this finale, whether it's one more season or whatever, it does feel like things change to such a degree that, I feel like some kind of an ending is within sight. Yep. And I think that that's going to be something that's really good and and beneficial for the long-term health of Stranger Things as a franchise. I think that this is going to be... Uh, uh, this would be a weird show to like, continue for a very long time. <laughs> I think it's the kind of show... <laughs> Don't you think so? Like, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's going to be like, oh, let's see. Uh, Dustin rents a car in season well, 10 because he's old enough to do that now. Well, I mean, I think that there there are there are certain appeals to that, uh, to, to be completely honest. I mean, you think about how the Star Wars franchise evolved. And I know that that didn't land perfectly well for everybody. But it was, a you know, that we hadn't seen hide nor hair of Luke and Leia and Han for decades and then they came back with a with a new sequel trilogy i feel like the fact that these these kids who are the stars of the show are so young would not surprise me at all if at some point we have like a 90s set stranger things that'd be like interesting I, I mean i, I know they, there's garnered a lot of it comparisons in the first couple seasons there is not the least of which is because finn wolfhard yeah exactly uh, which is why i base one of those those birthday party predictions off of uh, it does maybe garner some interest in this idea of you know maybe doing like a soft reboot in in the future where the the kids you know go their separate ways much like they did in the season three finale but now they come back together to hawkins to i don't know defeat the mind flare one last time there's certainly something in that but i feel like right now you know this this season in particular was really about the kids being kids or the teenagers being teenagers and this idea of adolescence and the idea that we're really tracking them you know in the moment as they're growing up. I feel like that we would lose out on that a bit if they went away and came back after a while, though. It's such a cash cow at this point that I could see if Stranger Things does indeed end in season four in a couple of years, if it's something that in our reboot culture could come back in some way, shape or form down the line. And I'm not necessarily mad at that, but I I think that there at least needs to be a for now ending. If not a permanent ending, then at least a for now ending. Leave the door open three Three inches. inches. That's fine. Uh, but, you know, I think I, I, I hope that as people are listening to this, some sort of we've got one more season or we've, we're announcing two final seasons. Uh, or even if they're like we're announcing the Hopper in Russia spinoff, which I am here for <laughs> if they want to do something like that. If they want to release like an eight episode series that's just based in Russia and Hopper escaping the Russian compound with a Demogorgon chasing after him, sign me up. I want, I'm here. I want to, I'm here for it. I want a buddy cop show, Prison Break esque, with Hopper and a Demogorgon. Like they couldn't get along until they realized <laughs> they had the same goal. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think it'd be good. All right, let's talk about the episode uh, specifically. Let's go beat by beat. I think you and I talked offline that maybe that's the way to go because all of the character arcs are all intermingled at this point. It'd be hard to break it down into person by person. Uh, so so let's just let's just uh, let's just dive right into it like uh, like an ill advised <laughs> knife through the shin. Uh, I, I I did not work in a mall food court, especially in the eighties. Pretty lax with uh, not necessarily locking up the kiosk or anything in the in the off hours i will say this season in particular i don't know what it is but the cinematography has been awesome i loved setting this in the big open court of the mall there's one moment especially when you know billy is dragging 11 back where it's just the flashing neon lights pulsing with the reds and the blues it's just a really fun wash to have over all these people it's very colorful i feel like in basing previous seasons in the fall and winter you get a lot of grays and browns and greens this season we got to be so much more colorful and maybe that contributes to more of like the the fun loving aspect of the season as the fireworks, Mike, it was the colors of, of the lights in the sky. Mm, Katy Perry loved this episode. Yeah, she, she loved season three. <laughs> Huge fan. Do you Huge ever fan. feel like a demo dog? We only have room for one music number per podcast. No! <laughs> rain it in. Rain it in. Uh, so, yeah. So, L, we're, we're picking up on L had the bite. Her leg was not doing great. Things are moving around. We got to get rid of the thing. And so it leads us to this really excruciating scene of trying to cut out whatever the hell is in there. And it's so gross. And Mike had such a visceral reaction. And it was so fun to watch. As like Jonathan Byers, my fave, is just like poking around Elle's shin. And she's just like, yo, stop, Jonathan, you're the worst. Oh, my God. And she shattered the gap, uh, which allowed them for easier access later in the, in the old Jurassic Park. Oh, they're going to do in a hot sec. But this seemed to be like the biggest use of her power to pull out this little tiny tentacle. But the bigger development is, Josh, I think Elle's got the yips now. After that, after that moment, she can't use her powers anymore, which is another choice that I really love because we talked about uh, a few podcasts ago how season one and two sort of like to use Elle as the nuclear option. They sort of did even earlier in this season where she was fighting Billy. There'd be moments where people are about to get, you know, hit by the meat monster and then she'd stop them. To have her essentially... Her nose would constantly bleed and you just got no sense that there was any consequence. Yeah, and to have her essentially neutralized for the course of this episode not only sets things up excitingly to have the other characters take action as a group but also really sets up a really fun arc for her moving forward where she always wanted to be a regular girl. Now she really is. What is that going to mean for her moving forward? Yeah. And so our, our thinking here, I guess now is not a bad time to debate it. So L pulls the piece of the upside down out of her leg and she's not going to be able to use her powers at all for the rest of the episode right yeah i think that i personally think that one of the reasons the mind flare wanted to get to her was to like suck the juice out of her almost right. and i wonder if that little tentacle got enough out of her it could also be something mental as well where maybe she feels i know i theorized last time that the bite would let her sort of uh, do battle with the mind flare in her own mental state maybe that's not necessarily the case but maybe there is something going on that sort of sapped her of her confidence uh but i mean millie bobby brown continues to be in my opinion the best actress on this show and she hits so many different peaks and valleys over the course of this episode and we see it here considering she starts by screaming excru- excruciating pain and then she has sort of experiences a different type of uh, emotional excruciating pain when she realizes she cannot crush that new coke can uh, much to mike's chagrin since he hates new coke yeah he would have loved that he would have been a fan of that i wonder if the mind flayer 
is if, if there's any piece of the mind flare that's like still embedded in l like if it was just too late and could it have like deactivated her powers somehow is there something like dormant lying in wait that's gonna resurface at the right time and take control of l there were a lot of there's a lot of x-men all over stranger things but there's a lot of x-men in season two there's cerebro here in season three i think that one thing that people have been waiting for myself included is will stranger things ever go like a dark phoenix route with Uh 11 like will they ever do something where 11 is um you know, is taken control over uh, by the mind flare and are her powers used for ill. And I wonder if this is like a building block for something like that. That could be, that could very much be. Uh, I think that that would certainly provide very interesting context, considering that the reason why the Byers family plus L leave Hawkins is to escape the monsters. And that's some nice symbolism that no matter how they try to escape, a little bit of Hawkins is going to follow them wherever they go. Well, you get the sense that that's probably where the show is going to go, right? Like, I feel like, I mean, they could go back to Hawkins next season if they really want to. I really hope that they don't. I think that there's so much better material if at the very least the majority of the show is spent outside of Hawkins, which ironically enough, it's something that they had tried to do unsuccessfully in season two because I I just don't think that they had earned that Chicago episode yet. But season three, I think, built a lot of track for them to be able to leave Hawkins behind for a while. And I think that that idea, like you're saying, that like, um, you know, these nightmares, they don't just go away because you've run away from them. Like, they, they, you still have to take them on. You still have to fight them. Uh, And I think like to, you know, we know that the Upside Down is already as far as Russia uh, by the end of season three. I think for like the buyers to move to Chicago or something like to, to go and leave Hawkins behind and only like to expose greater parts of the world to the upside down, I think would be a really tremendous direction for the show to go in. I mean, I think the Duffer brothers should take a hint from one of the greatest television shows of all time, Glee, where they split a season uh, half in Lima, Ohio, half in New York City. And they just said, you know what, if you're tired of what's going on at, you know, the school, let's just go to New York and watch these crazy kids being artists. They could definitely flip between them. There's also the possibility that, you know, Mike and Elle do sort of talk about uh, uh, holiday visits. I definitely think season four, if I could put my money on uh, when it will take place, I think we're looking at like a Thanksgiving, Christmas time frame, which hasn't really... It's got to be a decent amount of time that passes, though, because these kids are going through puberty (laughs) fast, Mike. Yeah. It's going to take at least a year for them to film another season of the show, which makes me feel like that at least like a year of real time has to pass, because only half a year passed between season two and season three. They're only like six months or so older in season three than they were in season two so it can't just be another six months it's not going to be realistic it's got to be like a year and a lot changes in a year if 11 is gone from hawkins gone from mike on a day-to-day level every single day for about a year and powerless in a whole new town where she can reinvent herself right after she's gone through a full season of you know embracing herself and embracing her own identity i feel like your idea of people you know getting you know growing apart uh i i feel like that's that's still gonna come to pass yeah i feel like you know that they may get back together for a holiday or something but that may be like wishful thinking it may be the kind of thing that when they do get back together it's not going to be quite as happy as everybody wants it to be let's bring up a map here for a hot second do you have a prediction as to where the buyers plus l would move to uh well we've there's a there's been a lot of ill annoy 
mm. action on on Stranger Things. Uh, so I, I think I, I want to see Stranger Things in the big city. I want some Chicago rhythm. Okay, <laughs> another Dick Wolf production, Chicago Stranger yes, Things. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, plus uh, Murray's only like a short little while away. Should anything go completely weird? I'm going to go a bit further. I should say a bit more north. I would love if they somehow are able to like become refugees in Canada just to see what that dynamic is like. Wow, it'd be a very, uh, very polite season of Stranger Things. <laughs> oh, buddy, looks like you're uh, crossing over into our dimension. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I don't think it would go over so well. I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of possibilities, but uh, it's it's entirely possible that they'll just completely set it back in Hawkins. But I think that there's a I think that there's a, a real opportunity right now to spread the show out. Yeah. Uh, a little bit. Um, let's keep barreling forward. Uh, Elle eventually just like takes over the surgery. She's like, I got this. Stop. <laughs> Get out of there. She pulls the thing out and she throws it away and Hopper and Murray and Joyce are there to destroy the little thing. It's like, all right, sweet. So the gang's here. It's time for Stranger Things the movie, which is what the season finales always are. Everybody's together and everybody's got work to do. Uh, and they're about to, they're about to get Get into some really, really serious work. Yoo-hoo! Yeah, I like it. Uh, we come back from the credits, and they're all trying to figure out what the move is. They seem to think that if they close the gate, that they're going to kill the Mind Flayer. What's the logic there? Well, I think it's that the Mind Flayer still technically exists in the Upside Down. And like we were talking about, I think the Meat Monster is more of a an avatar. A The, the Meat Monster is the Navi. I suppose to uh, mm. to Jake Worthington, Mind Flayer, who's still back in the Upside Down, lying in his own little pod, and so they- that was such a mismanaged Avatar metaphor that T Dub is rolling. <laughs> He's not in a grave yet, but you may have just killed him. I think I may have. Yeah, I'm gonna have to Jake Worthington. He's not happy about. It. <laughs> so I think that closing the gate would essentially cut off any connection that he had because I think they also feel that with the Russians sort of tempering with opening the gate, that has caused an even further rift to make the Mind Flayer grow even more powerful so like they say you, you, you kill the brain and the body will follow and so that's sort of the plan at this point they're going to pursue the uh edict that the late great alexi gave to them they're going to go the adults are now going to go down the elevator and try to you know break into the compound while the kids try to escape valiantly multiple times though they'll, they'll really quickly return back and forth to the mall many many times over the course of this episode I love how du- Dustin is offering to like help them out and like go down and like, well, you can do all the cool stuff. You can do all the fighting. We're just going to help you navigate it all. And Hopper's just out like, yeah, no, no, no way. Not happening. And you just got to wonder what would have happened. You know, what would have happened if they had allowed uh, half of the scooper troopers to go down into the bunker and uh, help out Hopper? I-, I should also say first, uh, Jake Sully was the Avatar character. I believe Jake Worthington is a country singer. By, by Sam, you, you confused uh, Jake Sully and Sam Worthington. You blended That's what it is. I, I so, blend yeah. them together. I made a goo person out of the two that's of them. All right. That's that's the theme of the, the theme of the season. Yeah, but I mean, this is totally in line with what you're talking about before with Hopper putting himself in the line of action in this case, 
mortally so, you know, while uh, the adults seem to, you know, take and try to try to take control of the situation. And what I will give them credit for is the kids maybe, you know, uh, maybe insultingly so talk down to them and said, you're going to die. I did love the uh, discourse between Erica and Mr. Murray Bunman about how he was going to die if he didn't follow their directions. But I'd say Hopper reached a compromise in having them, you know, end up going to Cerebro to navigate their way through the, the, the air ducts, which I think is a compromise by Hopper standards, considering that, as we saw from the beginning of the season, he was more of a my way or the highway guy. He's showing a little bit of give or take here. A little bit of give or take. Uh, he wants everybody to take off. He wants the kids out of there. Everybody reach minimum safe distance. Leave the Starcourt Mall. Uh, the plan is going to be Jonathan and Nancy. They're going to take the kids over to Murray's. They'll be safe there. It's Illinois. They're crossing state lines. Can't get much safer than that in a hurry. Uh, Got to go to Murray's. So they're going to they're going to head off. Uh, Murray's going to join. Uh, Joyce, which uh, I, I think I predicted my next Halloween costume is the uh, Murray B- Murray Bauman does die hard outfit, which is uh, a white tank top and Daisy Dukes like he pulled it off to a T. I was sad they had to get in those Russian uniforms because I would love to see him crawl through the air ducts. Wearing he looked that. amazing. He looked fantastic. Joyce is coming along for uh, for the ride as well. I also should mention in the uh, brief reconciliation scene, we got the party back together briefly our four boys oh that was a great moment yeah we're like dustin we missed you he's like i missed you guys too and erica's like yo you guys just need to relax <laughs> yeah everybody nobody cry please <laughs> and i i loved it as well because i guess i had been i had sort of forgotten that dustin wasn't with his friends for the vast majority of the season maybe it's because the party itself sans justin was still so big with l and uh and max and eventually jonathan and nancy that it didn't really feel it was Poultry and Dustin was obviously doing his own type of stuff. But yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, Dustin was without his best friends ever since they sort of abandoned him with Cerebro on the top of the hill. (laughs) Are they really his best friends then is the question. Uh, But they're all back together and everybody's going to leave. Nancy's got the car. But oh, no, the car, it's not working. (laughs) Something is wrong. Wow. Who knew the Mind Flayer knew so much about auto repair? Though I guess this was the Billy part. Uh, And I did love the Christine like image of, you know, the lights turning on and we just see a manic Billy in his whacked up car ready to just, you know, mow people down. It's it's I, I cannot give enough high regards to Dacre Montgomery, especially in these past few episodes. I mean, he really sends the character off with a plum, even though it wasn't a great character to begin with before this season. But just to see him so unhinged and totally flayed in this moment is so freaking scary, but so fun at the same time. But obviously it causes some trouble for for the plan. Uh, Dustin and the rest of the Scooper Troopers, who we are going to come to find out are referred to as Scoop, Scoop Troopers. Yeah, I, uh, I think uh, I think we prefer our name, and it's not just because... I like our yeah, name, Yeah, not too. just because we want to give ourselves pats on the back. It's because, you know what, I love ABBA, and anything that makes me think of ABBA, uh, you know, it makes me happier in this world. Uh, I think that, and Scoop's Troop, like, it sounds weird. should be either Scoop Troop or Scoob's Troops. Like I think it'd be, like I feel like if you do a plural and a singular, that's just a little bit of a mismatch. 
I think Scooper Troopers is is better because I think of Super Troopers, and I I like to imagine uh, the the quartet of Erica, Dustin, Robin, and Steve pulling people over and playing pranks. I think would be a, a, a fine Stranger Things spinoff. But they're they're gonna make it. They're gonna leave in time because they they got to set up Cerebro so that they can communicate with everybody. Don't, do do the, the question is do they need to set up Cerebro? Because when they get to the top of yeah, the maybe hill, Cerebro is just already well, there. That's the thing though, it seems like it's already yeah. there. But I guess my question is, like, it rained a good amount. Weather resistant, dude. Weather resistant. <laughs> Dustin, Dustin left Cerebro in the yeah. rain. The rain. No, we can't do three music numbers. <laughs> oh, no. Gotta, now it's cursed. Got to dial it back. Got to dial it back. Uh, yeah, I was, but they, they've, been, they've been able to leave, but the party is not because Nancy's car is messed up. Uh, here's Billy. He's basically cornering them into the mall. They have to stay there. Yeah. And meanwhile, uh, you know, the adults are going down. There's a really fun comedic moment here where Murray's like, I got this plan. I dare say if it goes right, they'll never know we were here. Cut to the elevator doors opening and then being held at gunpoint. Uh, and then cop- on top of Murray trying to take the peaceful approach and Hopper just machine gunning yeah, all these... Straight up killing them all. I mean, it's so interesting how I think he took a lesson from when he held Arnie up at the fair. I was like, okay, I'm gonna count to three and I, you better turn around and Ben, you know, uh, surrender to me. And then he nearly does, you know, put a bullet in his brain but arnie escapes i think hopper is ready to stop counting he's at a fierce one all the entire time with him just i mean he's doing fat rambo right now and i love it fat rambo is this is why i'm saying like i want fat rambo as a spinoff like i think that stranger things hopper as its own mini season is a phenomenal idea and i really hope that it gets done uh just seeing david harbour rock the bunker here it's just it's it's (laughs) funny and it's fun uh, it's just, it's, it's great. Um, there's some action with the scooper troopers as they're trying to get to Cerebro and the car is just not quite, uh, doing what yeah, it is. Yeah. The Todd to father has performance issues. Who would have figured? I think the Todd father having trouble off-roading makes sense. That doesn't seem like a great off-roading vehicle. Yeah. And I do love, you know, there are moments where we have, there's a lot of dweeby Steve, especially in the episodes as of late, but here we got a little bit of like cool Steve with like, Oh, I get to drive this car. Come to daddy. Yeah, come to daddy. He loves the car. I mean, this is a good job for him. Steve likes to Steve likes the cool gig. He's been stuck in the Scoops Ahoy uniform all season long. This is a this is a win. Yeah, I would definitely say so. A win for now, even though again he does get stuck up partially uh, you know, three quarters of the way up the hill. He's gonna have his own big hero moment coming up too, which they make the sailor suits look badass this season, though. I'm sure Joe Keery and Maya Hawk were so grateful that three months later they were not wearing the same suits when they applied I'm for sure. a job. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that they were happy about that. Uh, so in the bunker, they're dressed up like Russian soldiers. They're blending in. The Russians are once again proving themselves to be the absolute worst. <laughs> they're just they're just like the, the 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 security weak spots. They are they are many, much like the flayed. They're everywhere. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think they're just keen for company. I think Murray was able to really <laughs> yeah, he's really able to talk his charisma level to quote a D&D trope is that like he's rolling 20s basically with like the say goodbye sure. to sunlight. Who needs sunlight when we have each other? comrade uh, and i do also love the smile and nod advice that murray simply gives to joyce and hopper i will say winona Ryder, i think she could pull off that russian jumpsuit uh she reminded me a bit of a tina fey in muppets most wanted i was gonna say it seemed very tina fey-esque that's very funny yeah when she uh when she was like the what the warden of the gulag that kermit yeah, gets imprisoned right. in that's right that's right oh that's great uh but yeah they're gonna be able to keep going Murray's going to be able to to access the 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 you know the hatch that he's going to have to go down so that he need so his plan is he's going to 
what, what's exactly the plan here? Why did they need three people? Well, I think that, uh, you know, the initial plan... Two people need to activate the keys. Right, so that was that was plan A. But I think what Murray learned in talking with Alexi, if we remember, when they were sort of waiting for them at the fair before they decided to, to dump, jump in head over heels, was that Alexi said, yeah, you can turn it off, but they're going to just turn it back on. I think you should blow it up. And I think Murray right. had presented that plan to the two of them. And so the three-person job is that Joyce and Hopper are supposed to turn the keys. Turns out only one person needs to turn the key if they just had a nice sturdy belt to them. And Murray was going to be the one to actually destroy the mechanisms that would uh, make the machine go haywire, if not outright blow up. So he needs to navigate that. And so he's going to be doing a lot of conversing with Dustin, his codename Bald Eagle. (laughs) He is a fan of that name. And by he's a fan, I mean, he does not care for it. Oh, I love that. The, this is Brett Gelman doing his nice little deadpanning moment where it seems like he's kids. He's cool with teenagers. He's really cool with adults. But I think we found his sore spot here. I think teens like preteens and tweens is really where he just has a, a big problem with attitude. And the fact that he eventually acquiesces to the nickname of Bald Eagle is pretty fantastic. I also liked uh, the the Nancy Mike contingency was called the Griswold family. I'm assuming because of the car that they were driving. Yeah, I think probably. I think that's why. Uh, I think that uh, I don't think that they think that they're on any kind of vacation, really. Yeah, they went to the upside down and turned out it was closed the entire time. And uh, Mike punched in a statue of the Mind Flayer. Maybe they're kind of a dysfunctional family, so maybe it works. Uh, we were with the Griswolds a little bit. We see that Elle, as you've mentioned before, she's trying to crumble a can of new Coke. It's not working. She's, as you, as you said, performance issues, performance mm-hmm. anxiety. At the very least. Yeah, absolutely. But it looks like she she might need some time to bone up on those skills because uh, look what's coming through the skylight. Oh, there it is. The meat flare has showed up. Meat monster. Gigantic Stranger Things version of meat wad in the house. <laughs> Could you imagine the monster playing with like uh, like little bars of soap and tennis balls to be like, oh, these are, the, these are my flay. This is Bobby. <laughs> I don't know the play kind of like being out of my <laughs> Jake Busey actually kind of reminded me of Master Shake with his character this season. Yeah. <laughs> Why? What about the case of the missing mustard? <laughs> <laughs> I want it. Um, Master Flayed, give that to me, please. All right, for the Aqua Teen fans out there in the audience. Oh, and, yeah, Hop- the and Hopper is Carl. I think now it all makes yeah, sense. <laughs> obviously, that works. Yeah, very, very straight man esque. Uh, the meat flares in the house. That's going to cause all kinds of problems that we will we will get into back in the bunker uh joyce and hopper are alone and they have they have their sweet moment they're kind of their their final real sweet moment of the season where they they decide that they actually despite the bickering they do make a good team and maybe they should go on that date and the date is going to be seven o'clock on friday at enzo's uh, do you, do you think odd... hopper's allowed back in enzo's after what happened last time yeah, he's chief of police. That's true. That's all he is. It's like, what's yeah. the reservation under? Chief of police. Let me in. He's chief of police. He's going to be fine. Uh, and, so that, that's great. Yeah, I mean, this was also a prediction that I thought of that specifically they would, you know, symbolize the fact they were that Joyce was finally ready to move forward by making, you know, uh, a re-engaging in that date. In retrospect, I realized that if Hopper was going to survive this encounter, they probably would have had this scene either after everything or they would have just flashed to like the next week where he would pick her up. You know, I feel like they would show and not tell it. And so if you think back to it, I guess it does make sense as to like... They're really laying this ground down now so that it's even more heartbreaking that, you know, 
much like Captain America, Hopper had a date and now he lost out on yeah. it. Yeah, he's gonna have to travel back in time. Oh no, we'll get See? we'll get to that. We'll get to yeah, that. There may, well, there may be some discussion of of time travel in the future. So they're gonna they're they've they've got a date. It's seven o'clock on Friday at Enzo's. It's in open table. It's set. They've got a, a 24-hour cancellation policy. Otherwise, you have to, you have to pay a flat fee. Uh, so hopefully they're not going to penalize anybody given the circumstances of how that date shall not come to fruition. Back of the ball, the fit is hitting the shan. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of madness. Lights are going haywire. Uh, Something happens. The 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 monster uh, screams into a walkie-talkie. <laughs> yeah, there's this thing where Dustin, Mike Bloom, loves it. Dustin was calling for May Day to Griswold family, and we see the to, we see Meatwad pick up the walkie, scream into it, and then throw it aside as if it was. Dustin, I got the microphone. As if it was human, it was humanoid. And I absolutely loved how absurd it is in that one moment where it just took a brief break from being terrifying to just be like, I you can't come to the phone right now. Go away. We don't want any. So, so, so the fact that this happens tips off uh, the uh, tips off the the scooper troopers that maybe we got to get back to the mall. Things are not going so great over there. Yeah, unfortunately, even though Steve and Rob were like, finally, it's been like a week and a half, but we're finally out of the mall. Nope, just when you think they're out, they're pulling you right back in. We got to go. We got to get in there. So there's all sorts of mall hijinks that are happening. Uh, the mind player is like easily confused. <laughs> Uh, it's like, here, let's hide behind some mannequins. Well, I mean, look, we, we saw really from know. Billy couldn't really... I think the Mind Flayer is farsighted or nearsighted, which everyone means he can't see f- from far away, considering that is he has now fallen for this mannequin trick twice. And mm-hmm. uh, and this is, yeah. the, this is the nice Jurassic Park-esque moment where it pans, you know, to the counter or one of the ca- cabinets of the Gap, and you see Max and Elle and Mike hiding behind it like it's Velociraptors in the kitchen. I will say some also really fun theming stuff in that Max and Mike are the ones that are sort of helping Elle off here before they so rudely get tossed aside by Billy, just because I feel like right. those have been her two most important relationships Relationships this season. I feel like the Max L relationship is one of my favorite parts of season three. So I'm so glad that totally agree. So I'm, yes. and, and I'm so glad that this was uh, represented here. And the fact that later on, once the two of them wake up, they finally sort of join forces despite butting heads all season long and come together to, you know, work for the betterment of Eleven and save her. It's a, it's a really small moment, but I think that it really speaks volumes as to like the the relationships that L has courted for good and for bad over the course of this season. And the double date is solidified because Lucas is able to to help them out. He he has the, yeah, the slingshot I, that he's he, able to bust out again. I, Lucas is becoming the most weapons proficient member of the party. I, t- I revoke any LVP statements I made last podcast, considering that he has the wrist rocket now, which uh, really distracts the monster. Again, he needs his glasses, uh, but distracts him in time for the rest of them to get away. And as you alluded to last time, Chekhov's fireworks are starting to uh, to prickle a bit. The sparks are starting to go off. Sparks are going to be flying pretty soon. Uh, we're we're going to get the moment where where Billy is going to be driving at everybody in the car. They're trying to escape once again. It's still not working. And I have a, a mea culpa to issue. Nancy Wheeler is a real badass yes, in this moment. Completely absolutely. agree. I think absolutely. Yeah, I think hundred percent. Whenever Nancy gets a gun, uh, which is a hit musical that will hopefully be coming to Broadway soon. I I she's just such a badass. And considering the 
the fact that Billy was speeding towards her. She was looking down the headlights, a pure death. That was cool. And she just kept cool. firing. I think she was an absolute badass. And this is like her mom's speech echoing in her head of like, don't stand down. Be the strong woman you know you are. And she killed this scene. And I think in another... It's not Billy. I think yeah. in another setting, uh, Steve might have killed Billy. Slash himself, him and Robin were very lucky that they, you know, despite not wearing seatbelts, they both sort of survived that collision. But that T-bone came out of nowhere and it was so much fun to watch. Yeah, Steve the Hair Harrington uh, drives right in front of the car. Uh, he saves everybody's life. R.I.P. the Todd father. I think the Todd father is pretty clearly not surviving uh, that incident. But he buys everybody some time. Uh, kudos to Nancy for for stepping up when she did as well. We cut to Salt Lake City. Oh, boy. Uh, because we're going to need to find out the, the actual answer to Plank's constant, the number that clearly you and I know nothing about. No. I'm, just, I'm just speaking for you, but I assume that that's correct, that we have no idea what this is. I have no idea. I'm the, talk to my father. He's the math guy. It's not me. Uh, we'd have to radio my dad, and I don't think that he would be singing anything <laughs> with me. Just a, just, just a hunch. Oh, my God. Uh, we, we, yes, we, we need to talk about this. So this is crazy because, yeah, so, so Dustin calls Susie in Salt Lake City. Susie is real. Yes, which, which uh, we... This, it, it turns out that she is, she is indeed a real human being. And she is uh, cute as all get out. Uh, she's played by Gabriella Pizzolo, who is, uh, like, like so many of the young cast of this show, she's a Broadway veteran. Uh, she, uh, she was in Matilda. She was Matilda in Matilda, one of the Matildas, one of the many so Matildas. So she should just, just use her mind powers uh, to help out Eleven <laughs> from that perspective. I also love that we have Gaeta Matarazzo with Gabriella Pizzolo. It's the most Italian couple I could think it's of. It's great. It's great. It's great. Uh, and Susie's mad at Dustin. She, she's apparently a super math genius. She knows the answer to Plank's constant. She's not going to give it up because she hasn't heard from Dustin in a very long time. She's hearing somebody else's voice over the radio. She doesn't know who Erica is. And Dustin's like, yeah, I got no idea who that is. Somebody's just like, uh, butting in. I don't know what's happening there. I, I do. Dustin is so bad at lying. It is so much fun. Like, there's a moment all the way back in, like, episode three when him and Steve are tailing that jazzercise Russian guy. We're like, I think we talked about this. I can't remember. Where like the guy turns around and Dustin just grabs the phone. And is like, "Yes, I'm good. How are you? Great. Good to hear. Bye." Yes. <laughs> and it's like it's great because that's like what a 13 year old would do. I yes. I will also say, you know, Susie is understandably mad at Dustin for not radioing, uh, you know, him her back in the week since. But how is Dustin able to reach her now when he couldn't the day after he got back from camp? I don't know. Maybe she only she only turns on the radio. Uh, on holidays. <laughs> I don't know, one of those Mormon holidays. Uh, she was too busy reading Earthsea, I guess, too enveloped in those adventures to, to talk to her boyfriend. But she's going to talk to him, or more accurately, they're going to sing at each other, and they're going to sing the theme song <laughs> to the never-ending story as a, a music number here. <laughs> and I, I certainly hope that everybody listening by now already knows what the never ending story is. If you didn't know what the never ending story was before you encountered this music number. And if you haven't seen it, go watch the never ending story. It's a ridiculous fantasy movie about a young boy who reads the storybook during a rainstorm. And the storybook is about the death of a great fantasy land as the nothing sweeps over the land and causes everything to fall to disrepair. And there's a Treyu, and there's Artak, the sad horse, and the Swamp of Sorrows. 
And there's Falcor, the dog dragon. Mm-hmm. There's uh, the ro- the rock biter. The, it's just it's it's tremendous. There's a wolf if you're a dog person. It's great. It's very 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 great. And it was such a weird thing to get some never ending story <laughs> in this way in Stranger Things, especially Mike. After our preview show, you had talked about like, man, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing Stranger Things do something really strange and out there. Like I don't know, like a music episode. And we didn't quite get the musical episode, but we got. A music number I, we got we got cast members singing <laughs> at each other because the tension and the emotion was so high <gasps> that the only way through was a music number i mean i felt what? i felt so high when i was watching it for a hot second i felt like uh we got like a little tentacle of an earworm crawling in there I am uh, flabbergasted. Yeah, flabbergasted was the word I was going to use as well. I think at first blush, I was kind of like, what the crap is <laughs> happening here? Like, just sort of, like, sort of cranky pants about it. And then I reflected on it further and I've rewatched the finale as well. I was like, that's kind of amazing. It's, what a what a weird thing to have happened. And I thought that it was like it was very like tonally whiplashy. But I think that tonal whiplash might be one of the secret sauces of Stranger yep. Things at this point. I still prefer season one in isolation, and my top preference is to just kind of like view that in its own bubble because I think that that's a really perfect story just on its own. But if this was going to franchise out, this is where we are with it. And as long as they're just kind of embracing some of that tonal mishmash, uh, a moment like this can work very oddly but well uh i thought it was hysterical Uh, i mean it's it's so crazy that this happened this was ridiculous this was lunacy this was out (laughs) of nowhere and i loved it madness so so much i mean you were there in the room you wanted to capture my reaction a la malcolm's boot in game changers Uh, i i wish that i had i had been able to film it I, I, my only regret is that we weren't filming ourselves watching the finale together. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. So I think there was a point when watching this for the first time that, you know, he starts singing. And I would say when when she said, you know, it's do it, do it. I think if you made a, a top 10 list of things we expected Dustin to do when prompted, I think sing would be at the very bottom of the list. But then he starts singing and then she starts singing and then they start harmonizing and the synth comes on in the background and I believe at that point, I put down my computer and I walked out of the room. You paced around. Yeah, you paced around. You left the room. I was. Mike left the room. It was really priceless. And then I, I was just sitting on the couch being like, excuse me. And then I walk back and they're in split screen. Yeah. They're in split screen singing. I think what really makes this is first, not only the performances. First off, I have to give huge commendations to their vocals. Like, I think one of the things that really endears it to me is the fact the that Broadway stars. Yeah, and of the, the fact that they do sing it really, really well is a lot of fun. This was also very like a kids being kids moment. I'm sure we've all had moments, even as teenagers, we would like scream out songs, no matter how dorky they were with our friends. Like nobody was listening. But the fun part was everybody was listening and i honestly think what made this sequence was cutting to all the characters reacting like hopper being like what hopper the best part i think was joyce putting her head on the wall and hopper looking out as if to say this is the last thing i'm gonna hear in my life 
I'm gonna I'm gonna die <laughs> in this Russian base, and the last goddamn thing that's gonna be in my head is the never-ending story theme song yeah. to have everyone also in the Griswold family car like just mouth agog listening to this was I just love seeing everyone's stunned reaction. What I love about it is yeah, we sort of got T-boned by tone here, but it was a moment where everything just hung in suspense, and it was a different suspense from everything that had been, you know, uh behind us to the point where we have the mind flare pursuing them in the background, but that's almost just out of the out of the picture at this point. Because we're just concentrated on this. It was so damn wacky but i love the hell out of it and it gave me this new appreciation for like the new coke conversation from episode seven or the mall montage from episode two where it's like yeah to your point stranger things is making these choices they're more outlandish than season one but you know what i really feel like seasons one and two stranger things built the lego millennium falcon season three they finally started to play with the damn thing and i feel like this is a key example of that I just want this to mean uh, Falcor for season four. (laughs) I don't know how it happens. Could you imagine like a Demogorgon version of Falcor? Yes, I can. And it's magical. And I want it. And I need it. And if they don't deliver that, I'm going to throw up. (laughs) Oh, wow. wow. That's a talk about visceral reaction. I'm going to puke because I'll be so upset. Uh, It is so strange. This is, this is the strangest thing that Stranger Things has done so far, and it's really not close. Yeah, I mean, this no, is number one with a bullet. We are, they drove into the uncanny valley for like a few it's seconds. So, <laughs> and I will also say, we're so reading out the internet response. Internet, do not blame Susie for killing Hopper and Billy, okay? She had no knowledge of what was going on. To the point where I think if she knew that the world was really at stake, she would not have had Dustin put on a dog and pony and Falcor show to get oh Planks constant. God. I just think uh, it, it happened to be that, you know, Dustin, in true Dustin fashion, ends up saving the world, but in the most embarrassing circumstances. So it's great. She gives up Planks constant, and you don't ever get, like, a real response from Hopper about what had just happened. He just he takes the number, he ins- inputs it into the safe because Murray didn't have the right number. He inputs it into the safe, he gets the stuff. And they move on about the mission. Uh, and for now, at least, that's it for a never-ending story. But, of course, it will come back uh, by the end of the episode. I will also say, so uh, Stranger Things 3 very much trumps a never-ending story 3. Uh, yeah. Uh, was that, wasn't that Jack Black? Yeah, that was the one where 3? Jack Black played a bully and the rock biter sang Born to be Wild. It was, it was a, a low point in the history of cinema, Josh. Not great, not great. Maybe a Treyu could show up in season four as well. That'd be interesting if he was like a... He's an archer on their side. Yeah, he could be... It seems like we are... If we have bid farewell to the numbered children, but if they somehow do bring it back, I could see him be like two. Like, oh, I have the ability to... I don't know, I write things and they happen. The nothing could be a good monster from the upside down. Yeah, totally. Some kind of Swamp of Sorrows moment would be great. Um, so the music number is over. Billy is not yet over. He's injured, but not injured enough uh, to be stopped. He, uh, much like Grigory, is uh, is very Terminator-esque as he gets out of the car. He hops straight into the mall. He comes after Max and Mike and L. He lays the smack down, and he grabs L and leaves. Uh, and it's just horrifying. And the choreography there is great. It really just makes you so uh, afraid because you don't like to see these characters ever get hurt. Uh, and the way that they're injured by him. It's just like so decisive. Yeah, this season, you know, I feel like 
our characters really haven't suffered a lot of bodily harm in the first two seasons. Maybe the Duffers feel like because they're older, they can do so. But I feel like between these two here, we saw Nancy and Jonathan get wrecked at the hospital. Like, it feels like the characters are now no strangers to immense amount of pain because these two get bodied in the worst possible way. And it is so chilling to have Billy lay L down and for him to give his like little disclaimer of like, hey, just lie still. I knew that you figured that maybe nothing was going to happen, but it was still like pretty freaky to see the the mind, the meat monster really, you know, rare his fangs and bear down on L for a hot second. So a lot's happening at once. Like everything is climaxing at the same time. I'm so sorry. That sounds weird. Uh, but that's what's happening. Unlike the, the, mind, the Todd father would have no experience with that. The mind, the mind flare is, is here and the mind flare is about to consume L because of Billy. But alas, uh, for the mind flare, the fireworks are here and the 4th of July is being celebrated in style just as Lucas had pitched it. Uh, so and he, pit, and he pitched a lot happening. of fireworks over that banister. Everybody's throwing fireworks at the Mind Flayer. It seems like it's at least affecting uh, the Mind Flayer. It's at least having some sort of impact, enough to distract it at the very least. Uh, meanwhile, in the bunker, the Terminator shows back up. Uh, it's Hopper versus Arnold. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Hopper should learn don't count to three because he did it again this time. Uh, I think that, and I will also say, you know, that as they get into a fight, when Joyce had the idea to turn both keys, I know we are both fans of the leftovers. We knew how that was done in a yeah. submarine in the you know the depths of the ocean. I was a little concerned if we'd go that direction, but no, I think it's just no some way. good belt work and uh, some nice flexibility on Joyce Byer's part helps save fantastic, the day. Fantastic, fantastic belt work uh, as as that's about to be going on. We get another fight sequence between Hopper and Arnold, and uh, there's one point where it looks like Hopper's head's going to be taken off, but he's able to get out from under it, and he like knocks Arnie's face into the the, into the thing and it gives him that kind of uh, classic T2 Schwarzenegger look with the endoskeleton mm. uh, it was the yeah give it, giving way with like the flesh going away and like you could just like see a little bit underneath and then he gets the upper hand on him and gives him the, the great I'll see you in hell which you might be very soon Hopper <laughs> I don't know. It was so it was so cheesy. I loved it when he just says, I'll see you in hell and tosses him into the key. And Hopper might be alive, but the Terminator's dead. Yeah. I, very, very, very super dead. Yeah, I would say so. I think, uh, you know what? Arnie was a fun little, you know, again, over the top villain. This ending was also very like Terminator 2-esque, right? Where Hopper essentially gave like the thumbs up to Joyce yeah, as he's right. melting in the, in the molten. Descends into the molten lead. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he needs a vacation. Truly, <laughs> truly, he does. Uh, so Hopper gets the best of the Terminator at the very least. Uh, but the key is like going haywire at this point, so they're running out of time to do something with it. And like the the electric current is standing in between Hopper and and Joy, so he's not going to be able to get to her anyway. Meanwhile, everything that's happening at the mall, the fireworks are still going off, and a powerless Eleven is going to show that she has a different power. Uh, empathy <laughs> i will say and you know i think as we're going to start to eulogize i like yeah this. i, I think as we, as we start to eulogize billy a little bit i will say that i think the way he died was awesome i don't think it necessarily makes up for the way he was characterized especially in season two but what i really loved about it is you wonder like what when l did this what did this sort of like bring about in billy and you could say it's his humanity but honestly i realized that stranger things it's sort of a show about, to quote Murray Bauman, shared trauma that these yeah. characters have all sort of gone through these traumatic experiences and have 
you know, dealt with it in different ways. Some have shut themselves up inside caves. Some have become even more outgoing. Some, like Billy, have turned to anger and violence. And I wonder if in that moment, Billy sort of realized, you know, the, the violence that he's caused upon the vulnerable, both in his human form and in his mind flare form. You know, he seems so apologetic in that moment in the sauna when he realized the, the magnanimity of what he did. Totally. And this is a moment where this beaten little boy who has essentially been emotionally worn down since he was such a young kid is finally turning his rage against something that's striking out against the vulnerable. And that's a really, really powerful moment, you know, where he essentially stands up to the thing that has been manipulating him the entire time. It's also a great macro theme that the Mind Flayer thought it it could manipulate humanity. And essentially, this is humanity staring back at it, saying like, yeah, you thought you could take me that I was, you know, your right hand man. But screw you. I'm much more powerful than you could ever think. Uh, So much so that, you know, he keeps the Mind Flayer away from Elle enough so that once the gate gets closed, Bill is the only victim that it takes. Aside from the 30 or so people that it already took. It already took, yeah. It turned into the meat monster. But Billy, like, he shoves his hands up into the sky and, like, it grabs him by both hands and he's just still, like, holding it back. Then it hits him in the sides. And it's not until it, like, really skewers him in the chest. He's able to sustain a few hits uh to to keep this thing back and i think i think it is a pretty powerful moment like it doesn't erase all like the crappy behavior that billy has exhibited over the course of his life uh but i i do like the the signal that it sends that like you could do horrible things uh and it's not necessarily that like you make up for that stuff but you can be better you could do you could do better uh and you could still do good and just because you've acted like a scumbag doesn't mean that you have to keep acting like a like a horrible evil upside down monster you can make a stand and you can devote what remains of your soul to a really noble cause like protecting 11 and standing for the living and he does that and he dies and i think as you and i had covered walking into the season we totally expected billy would die uh i don't think that we necessarily expected to feel uh some Anything. measure of sympathy <laughs> for him yeah it, but it was a really good scene and they do a great job and again uh sadie sink who, oh. who you said millie bobby brown for you but again i i maintain sadie sink i think is the best actor of the kids uh she does such a great job reacting to the moment because she's been so strong all season long she's watching her brother die in this very traumatic fashion he's gurgling black stuff it's so gross. It's like just made of upside down goo inside. Uh, so the whole thing is just disgusting. Uh, and I love uh, and I love the fact that, you know, he does get the typical like last words, even though all his circulatory system is essentially out there on the floor. But the last thing he tells Max and the last thing he ever says is, I'm sorry. And I yeah. love the fact that he said it to Max because he, he did apologize before, you know, in the sauna. But the fact that this is someone who he's arguably tortured the most and that we walked into season two, you know, in the middle of such an, a verbally and emotionally abusive and hopefully not physically, but maybe so abusive relationship between these two. I think, again, it's just small but powerful. Those two words that he says to her. And we'll talk about maybe the complicated emotions that that Max has in dealing with Billy's death. But, yeah, my heart broke the first of many times this episode with her just falling into Eleven Eleven's arms, just weeping profusely, where you could tell, even though they had a weird strange relationship she did love him at the end of the day and yeah i totally agree with you that i think it's it's a the arc of billy this episode this season ironically enough even though he became less and less human as the season progressed 
it proved that there is humanity in everyone, even the most depraved people. And I think that's something really cool. I don't know if it was worth painting him as a complete sociopath in season two, considering how uncomfortable it made me, but all the commendations for Dacre Montgomery, considering... I think, yeah, I think it's a good example of, like, it, it's... The, the writing on it was fine, but I really think it was the performance that elevated All but, like, like yeah. He, he really did find, like, those moments where, like, he's playing down the line of, like, I am I am flayed, but I am Billy. Like, he, like, he's finding those moments where he can be both monstrous and deeply human. And I think, you know, much of that can be in the writing. But you have to be a certain caliber of actor to convey that and bring that to life. Uh, and he did a great job with that. Yeah. He really yeah, I mean, we were talking about the fact that he went from, you know, being the uh, buttoned up goody two shoes when talking with Heather and her family, which I guess BT dubs R.I.P. Heather's entire family. Yeah, they're all gone. They're all they're which all we'll definitely talk about, you know, in the postscript uh, what happened to those 30 people and how that might really affect Hawkins moving forward. But he was able to do that. There was that moment we talked about a couple episodes ago when he talks to Elle about how, you know, you're like you, you locked us in here and we're, we're going to stay here where he has this tear rolling down his face. It was a surprisingly complicated performance. And for that, I am really glad that not only Billy stuck around, but they gave him so, so much to do. It gives me hope that maybe some other characters that sort of got shoved to the side this season, like, unfortunately, your Will Byers or your Jonathan Byers, that they'll give them more, for lack of a better term, meaty stuff to work with in the future. Because they do a really great job with creating such three-dimensional, complicated characters, Billy being the biggest example this season. Yeah, I mean, a lot of like the potential human antagonists are gone with the Terminator's dead, Billy's dead here. Um, I guess, I mean, there are still people out there. Like Brenner could, st- could still potentially be out there. You never know, like what, what Kali might be like, uh, when we, when we check back in with her. Like last she, we saw her, she was really burned by Eleven leaving her. It could be an interesting arc to see her, uh, take, uh, you know, more of a villainous turn. Uh, but we may need to introduce some new human baddies if we're going to get some of those. Well, it's almost like we have an entire future. country of them. I know, exactly. Uh, so we see Billy die, we see the Terminator die, and then the show wants us to think that Hopper's dead. He gives, like you said, he gives, he gives Joyce the, the T2 nod. He gives her the, the, the proverbial thumbs up to turn the keys. She does it. The key blows up. The, the gate is closed. Hopper is nowhere to be seen. But it's the classic trope, Mike Bloom. We never see the body. Yeah. And we see the bodies with Billy. And we see the bodies with all the bodies that liquefied and melted down to turn the meat monster. And we, we saw, we saw the Terminator get shredded to bits. You do not see a single physical thing happen to Hopper. There is just no chance in my mind that he's actually dead. And absolutely not. I think maybe, uh, in another universe, if the Hellboy franchise was more popular at the box office, maybe yes, David Harbour would say, okay, I'm ready to retire Hopper. But the fact that not only does he love the character, but the Duffers love the character. We talked a lot about how the Duffers really like to to work in storylines off of like what they're vibing with, with the actors on set. And I just feel like they would ne- they would not want to lose Hopper in this regard. Granted, it is an emotional heft that his absence brings. And I would say, even though I agree that I never thought he was truly gone through the rest of this episode, there are still a lot of great emotional punches that are being packed here, uh, starting with Joyce just walking onto the, you know, the catwalk and, and seeing just trying to come to terms with everything that happened. And I will say the look that Hopper gave her with just this beautiful red light in oh, the background from yeah. the gate with tears in his eyes, the effects this season by the way 
for lack of a better term, out of this world. I, I love that. You know what? Give me all the new Coke ads in the world if it gives us more of a budget to produce all these fantastic effects and things. Uh, I would say like maybe not, but I, I, I would like the budget, but I, I don't want a ton of new Coke ads. <laughs> I don't want a ton of those same scenes, please. No. But I, I think that that was like a really, you know, if, if this did end up being Hopper's last word, which it's not, but if it was, it was a really poetic way for him to go out where, like you said this entire time, Hopper loves to put himself in the line of fire and he finally met a moment where he did it and there was no turning back, at least in that but moment. You, you do get the sense in that moment where it's like, damn, now, like, yeah. just as I've like, my, I'm like, I'm getting my life together, like, just as like, I'm I, like, things are starting to turn around for me. This is where the sacrifice play comes in. Uh, whereas before, like, he would throw himself in a harm's way with really no regard for his life. Uh, and here, you really get the sense that this is this is very sad for him. Like I think that he acknowledges like this is what has to be done to protect everybody. But uh, you know he's it's it's very emotional. But he's going to be all right, folks. Yeah, he's be fine. Do we do I we want to? I think do we want to stop down for a second and talk about what we think happened to him? Because I know you have a couple theories going around. Well, yeah, I think I think that we can we can we can feedback that up for the feedback show in in greater detail. But I think the the popular theory is is he is he the American that they talk about in the cold ending you know that seems pretty easy uh you know did did he somehow like uh like did he get like knocked to a different part of the lab and when owens shows up they recover him is he somehow uh you know Maybe, uh, like, if they do a thing where like he lost his memory and now his name is like marvin and he lives in missoula montana like i mopper yeah like uh, like martin popper yeah i i don't yeah. know i don't know how i feel about that i think an, another great. big popular theory is that much like we saw with 11 from season one going to season two he could have gotten blasted into the gate before it closed and wound up right. in the upside down which i know right. there's been theories of like well how would he survive in it if they do end up going for a year but as you pointed out in your hollywood reporter article let's remember in season two mr hopper got a bunch of spores down his throat when he was he may be inoculated to the upside down stuff yeah he got he got he, he got be, vaccinated yeah he may be fine in there yeah uh so we, we you know we could have a situation where like hopper is just kicking around the upside down for a while or even just a little while but long enough uh and longer than other people could sustain uh there's a lot of different options on the table uh i think i think that that's one i've i've i have uh i i need to think about it a little bit more but i feel like the show wants us to be thinking about some time travel-y type of stuff mm -hmm. they put back to the future up front and center in a fairly big way and they talked about the time travel rules very specifically specifically about banging your mom <laughs> Yeah, it was very weird, but they did that. And there's there's everything like in in the episode uh, at the end of this episode in the in the letter that Eleven is reading that Hopper had written. That itself is you know him speaking to her across time. And then the episode is going to do this thing where it replays the packing and the leaving uh, of of the buyers from Hawkins, even though we had already seen it. There's a there's a song cue. There's a music cue that even though it's an older song, it's a it's a 2011, I believe recording that peter gabriel is doing a cover of david bowie's we could be heroes like there's just a lot of stuff that's happening there at the end that makes me wonder at the very least should we be considering some sort of time travel element that could be possible for mm -hmm. the future of stranger things could it be that hopper actually dies but they go back in time and save him 
I don't know. Something that's yeah. on as a possibility. We'd love to get your takes for the feedback show. Uh, we would love to hear what you think about what happened to Hopper, how Hopper could survive. That would be really fun to pick apart for the feedback show. So please send that to us at Posture Recaps on Twitter. Uh, you could tweet at Mike and I as well or send it through the feedback form, PosterRecaps.com slash feedback. I will also say, uh, not to poke holes in your theory too, too much before we uh, put the cart before the horse, but I, I do believe that that Peter Gabriel Heroes cover was used in Stranger things before it was used in uh, the third episode of the first season when they found will's quote-unquote dead body in uh in the gully which actually had some pretty interesting well that's that's another that's another good maybe, example, maybe that's what right? they, they travel back in time to well it, it, it's not even that but i mean le- less about the time travel thing like that's another tell that if that's the music cue which you're you know news to me that if that's the music cue from the will byers thing in season three in season one uh will was alive they found a fake body oh, that's true uh, so it you know maybe it's a, a nod at people <laughs> to be like hey you're smarter than this hopper's fine it's the, he's not he's dead song <laughs> Right, exactly. That's the tell. Uh, yeah, and I, I, it, it is interesting. And there's actually some really nice echoes with, you know, as we segue into the epilogue here, we're like, and that's where Mike has this really powerful moment where he goes home and he just falls into the arms of Karen Wheeler. He sort of does the same thing over the song when he leaves, when Eleven leaves him. Like, there's a lot of really fun echoes going on, maybe across time and space. We will certainly get into it. I will say, uh, hi, Owens. So nice to yes. see you for a hot second. So- Paul Reiser's back. We're getting some montages here. He finally shows up with the crew. It's a it's a wordless appearance from Paul Reiser in season two. But nice to know that Owens is still in the universe. And he and his team, they make it down into the lab and he's looking off at the gate. What would you say is the health of the gate? Is that like is that three door three inches open? That door, would you say is that completely sealed shut? Or is there still some maneuverability, some wiggle room even <laughs> regarding the gate? Yeah, I don't think there's any way to close the gate, if I'm being quite honest at this point. I feel like they have been doing this thing where they have been like pushing the door to like hit the frame as if it's meant to close, but then it sort of bounces off a bit like they didn't push it hard enough. And so now it's lying slightly ajar, considering that L closed the gate last time, but, you know, the Russians were able to open it up to the point that the Mind Flayer was able to uh, to wreak havoc once more. Now that it seems like they're doing it again in their own country of origin, I, I really do feel like it's really <laughs> it's, it's really there's a doggy door in the in the upside down that these creatures keep crawling through where even though they keep shutting the door there's still another entrance that they keep having to go through whether it's by you know what characters are doing or just by the fact that it seems like it's an impossible universe to close off completely so uh some time passes three months pass uh we get a news report that's like the very like salacious like is this a nightmare town? <laughs> is this hell on earth? Which is, the policeman died, all these deaths, chemical leaks. Uh, which is it's so interesting to think about the status quo of Hawkins. And what I'm really hopeful for with season four is, yeah, I mean they've done they've dealt with weird stuff in the past, but like almost three dozen people died. Died. Yeah, like you have to imagine that. Hawkins is no longer going to be this small, idyllic town like everyone else except our main characters think of it as. I really wonder if the characters and one of the reasons why Joyce moved is because now there's going to be like an unfortunate stigma 
associated with the town, much like Will had the zombie boy nickname in season two. I wonder if everyone's going to regard Hawkins as sort of like this freaky town. And it's going to be a matter. Of- it's going to be like uh, speaking of the leftovers. It's going to be like Miracle Texas. Oh, no. Jordan, like except the opposite. <laughs> it's going to be pictures of the families, except they're all going to be goo instead of gone. Like sa- like Satanists are going to show up and they're going to love it. So I think that that's a that's even a, we're talking about changes to the status quo. That's a really fun one where we thought maybe at the end of season two, when the government came in to bust up Hawkins lab, that that would really shake things up. It turned out that really got swept under the rug. But this is out in the open as, you know, uh, as hokey as uh, the cutting edge might be as a news source. Now that this is sort of out there, you know, you can't cover up. 30 deaths, even though they tried to do it with this, this mall burning down. You know, even though it seems like the mall is gone, Klein the Swine is uh, back in his pigsty of prison, it seems. It seems like this town has irrecoverably changed. And I do wonder yeah. what the state of Hawkins is going to be moving forward. So at least uh, imminently in the in the immediate future, uh, Hawkins is going to look slightly different at the local arcade because uh, Steve Harrington and Robin are going to be employed there. Well, yeah, so this, Keith, this is a weird. Keith is not going to be super wild about giving Steve a job, but Robin's going to hook him this up. This is a weird situation because the family video, which is where they apply, is literally right next to the arcade. Does Keith like? Does he work at both places? Does he like? Sir, is there a twin of Keith who works right next door to his brother, or does he just? I think it's like they're they're linked. They're all. In the does does he have a monopoly? Is, is this a big theory that there's a bunch of Keith clones that all work in these stores along this little shop? Plaza crisis on infinite Keith. I think uh, maybe he got a promotion. You know, who knows? Yeah, you don't have to Plaza, like ferret around little like, Cheeto dusted kids. Now you get to like be. And I love this scene for a number of reasons. One, it's more dweeby Steve. His top three movies are what, Josh? It was uh, the it was Return of the Jedi. Yeah, well, the the Star Wars one with the teddy bears, yes. which, yeah, is is Return of the Jedi. Uh, he likes Back to the Future, right? The one with Alex P. Keaton. Yes, and then he ends up a uh, late submission for Fast Time at Ridgemont High only because he walks into the cutout of Phoebe Cates, which is a great callback to the premiere episode when Dustin compares uh, Susie to her. But Robin... Yeah, multiple times. Yeah, but, multiple but Robin times. Uh, is getting him uh, the hookup here. It's a problem saying that Steve, even though he really doesn't have skills anymore, does have skills to get uh, Keith to hire him. So it looks like... They they are employed once more. Hopefully they're wearing less degrading outfits. And this does give Keith the opportunity to be that film snob that you get at that movie store back when movie stores were a thing. So I don't, I don't think I don't think that we're going to we're going to embark on a future with Steve and Robin at the arcade. Like I, th- I think Stranger Things is going to move past the point where this is really going to be a thing. Maybe I'll be wrong. Uh, but I, th- I think more than like setting up that this is going to be where they are in the future. I think what's important here is that Steve and Robin have found each other and have found like really powerful companions and friends within one another. And they'll lift each other up. And the next time we see them, uh, they will be in better spots than they were. Yeah. Like, I think that they'll be in better spots than they were at the start of season three. I think that they're they're just going to continue to to rise up like whipped cream on the top of a float. Oh, uh, uh, boy. And poor Erica. I think... Uh, a rising tide floats ba- all bad, ice cream scoops. Bad loophole that Erica experienced. And, like, you can't get free ice cream for life at Scoops Ahoy if Scoops Ahoy is permanently closed down. She got 16 different ice cream products. She should have She should have <laughs> squirreled some of that away. She didn't know that, the, you know, she would have be losing out on ice cream so soon in the future. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, all right, so the buyers are moving. 
Yeah. Buyer's remorse? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll, I'll give you kudos for that one. I mean, this is, it's a little bit of a gut punch because as you said, it is such a, a crazy like gut falls out from under you moment of like, oh my God, they actually are moving and it's going to lead to some big split, specifically romantically speaking. But yeah, it does make sense. You know, one of the reasons why Joyce wanted to leave in the first place is because she's like, I don't want to, you know, every time I walk around, I'm reminded of Bob. And Hopper was the one person to say, you need to stay here. There are people who can help you, a.k.a. me. Now that he's gone, his main, you know, support line is gone. She still has people, but it really feels like she lost out on like her main support system. And so she feels like it's really time to move on here. You know, this town keeps taking away the things that I love, whether it's my son, whether it's my boyfriend, whether it's this guy that I had such an on again, off again thing with. Why do I need to keep providing to this town if it keeps taking away from me? And from that perspective, my heart goes out to Joyce Byers. And I hope she finds at least a little bit of happiness in season four for the entire season. Absolutely no chance. Uh, but <laughs> we're, we're, we're seeing everybody help with the, with the move. Lucas and Max are mocking Dustin by singing the never yeah, three story. months later. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing that I, you and I were laughing about this of uh, like, it was a very memorable moment. Uh, you would, you would remember that night once you got some distance from the event, like, Hey, remember what Dustin sang the never ending story in order to save our lives? Like they, like for them to remember that I think is, is fair for Max to remember any of that after what happened to her brother is kind of shocking to me, Yeah, but uh, okay, that's fine. Listen, you know, cer- certainly Caleb McLaughlin and Sadie Sink are also both Broadway veterans. So to give them. A uh, a little bit of a of a music reprise, never ending reprise. I'm fine with that. I mean, people grieve in their different ways as well. And I guess when we have Hopper's montage here, the Hoptage, if you will, where he says, you know, uh, sometimes our feelings are sad, and it does c- cut to to uh, Max sort of sitting contemplatively. She's sad, yeah. yeah so exactly. so maybe it's a thing where like she puts up a front, or maybe she stays with Lucas for the umpteen time because he's able to distract her from that. It was a little weird that for a hot second we're like, yeah, you were weeping over your dead stepbrother three months ago, and now you're you're totally fine. But I people grieve in different ways, so I guess I can understand how she wanted to take a bit of a brief break from her sad feelings to just mock Dustin mercilessly. Yeah. So Nancy and Jonathan say goodbye, uh, and we could not talk about that. Is fine with me. Just kidding. It's sad for them. I'm sad for them. They love each other. Love is great. But I do love, I love the callback to the blood oath and also the, I know you did not like the uh, connotations behind the we've got shared trauma quote because it is from Murray Bauman with the vodka in his pullout couch. It's just so weird. It was so but weird. I, but I like it because I think that it, it goes back to like, yes, they might have had their like, you know, their slight differences, whether it's the classism or the sexism that sort of, uh, you know, erupted during the argument that they had in the middle of the season. But at the end of the day, what they have is that shared trauma that really ascends all possible boundaries that might keep them apart, including geographically speaking. And it's going to provide some interesting dynamics for next season. I will say that, you know, while I still think Will was LVP, I think it's safe to say Jonathan Byers might be get the silver medal here just because outside of like getting beasted in the hospital and cutting L's leg open, he didn't do too much this season, which stinks because I feel like the Jonathan character was so interesting in the first couple seasons that I really hope that Charlie Heaton and Noah Schnapp get more things to do in the season coming up. Well, I think I was more disappointed about Will just because I love that character and he was so fundamental to the first two seasons. So, I mean, if they want to 
prioritize other characters because he's already had so much priority. Like, I'm not that mad about it. Uh, but I think that that's why it was so disappointing. It's like, you, you know what Noah Schnapp's capable of. You know what Will's capable of. Uh, you just want to see more with that character. He was, he's our first entry point to the Upside Down, really. Uh, so you just wanted to see more from him than we got in season three, other than just like goosebumps all the time. Um, and with Jonathan for me, like, I guess I've just never, the character never really resonated with me. So it's just more of the same, uh, that, that I felt like with Jonathan, but they're not the only Jonathan and Nancy aren't the only ones who are, who are sad here. Mike and L it's a little more upbeat. They, uh, the L word comes (laughs) out. It's an admission of love, Mike. Yes. Uh, they kiss. They're going to see each other at the holidays. Yeah, they're, they're going to talk on Cerebro. They're surprisingly high-spirited about a long-distance relationship. And maybe it's the fact that Jonathan and Nancy are more realistic about it. And you spoke about the circumstances about it beforehand. But I thought this was cute. I have I have said in the past that I have not been the biggest fan of the Mike and Elle relationship. Uh, just because, you know, the biggest pop culture comparison has always been E.T. and Elliot in the first season. And I'm like, I don't want to think about what if Elliot hooked up with E.T., that's just something I kind of I kind of do. Well, there's fan fictions out there, Josh, that I'm sure you could indulge in after we have this Yikes. conversation. Uh, but I, I think that they did a really nice job of sort of like tying their arc of the season together where, you know, he still has problems saying the word she ends up saying here, just showing great emotional maturity on her part. And the smile that Millie Bobby Brown gives as she walks away from him, I think, is super sweet. Uh, so I, I think that it, it was a sweet way to end the two of them, even if I haven't been the biggest fan of the two of them. I think the they end things on a very hopeful note, and hopefully Cerebro will just have to put in some overtime every single day while they're talking. My guess is it's not going to be what they want it to be, just because I, I think that's going to be better thematically. And I think it's if, if they really want Elle to, you know, to embrace some individuality and the fact that she we see here, she doesn't have her power. She can't move the bear. It's three months later. She still doesn't have it. I think that they're really going to explore Eleven off on her own and becoming her own person separate from everything that she's known. Um, and I, I just think that that growing divide between her and Mike, I think we're still going to we're, we're just going to see more of that. Um, which I think will be good dramatically if that's the direction they go. As, as and if long the direction as, that they go in instead is they're fine, then you know that's sweet and that's nice. Too. As long as we don't get more emo, Mike, I'm okay with that. You know, I, I was fine with like little shit, Mike, paranoid, Mike, relationship, Mike. This season, I just hope we don't revert back to that. But I guess speaking of new dynamics slash sort of old dynamics, I love the choice to have Eleven go with the Byers family because it reminded me of that really fantastic scene in season one when Joyce is sort of bonding with Eleven when they're creating the sensory deprivation tank in the gym. Right. And I love the fact that, yeah, it would make sense that, you know, with her parental figures all out of the picture, she would turn to Joyce, who she bonded with back in the day. And, you know, she has her own sordid history with mothers. And this is the the closest thing she has to a parent that's left. And it seems that Joyce is more than willing to accept yet another misfit in her family. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I, I love the idea of Eleven going off with the buyers. Uh, and it makes me wonder, since, you know, Eleven has her connection to the Upside Down and Will has had his connection to the Upside Down. Those are two characters we haven't really seen paired together in a very, like, meaningful way. Like, in terms of, like, direct connection, direct communication. They're clearly bonded by what they've gone through. But they ha- we haven't seen, like, a lot of one-on-one scenes between Millie Bobby Brown and Noah Schnapp. I want to see that. And I, I think the idea of them becoming close like siblings uh, could be really, really great. Especially, like, if what we get is... 
in their own way, they're closer together uh, than than Mike is to either one of them yeah. whenever they reconnect next. For Mike to feel like the third wheel, even if it's a platonic friendship that they have between each other, I think that there's a, a really cool story potentially to explore there. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for, for Elle to get out of Hawkins and to get out of Hawkins with the buyers. And of course, she's, uh, she's escorted out of Hawkins by way of this letter that that Hopper has left behind from the night that he was going to tell off Mike, uh, the night that he did tell off Mike, but the night that he was going to try and defuse it calmly, uh, it turns out that he Joyce's advice wasn't really going to work anyway. So he wrote something else down and we get this great performance from David Harbour via voiceover uh, that's closing out the season that we've referenced a few times here already about feelings and being in the cave and you know, live your life, live your dream. I go, go get hurt. Being hurt's cool. Yeah. But don't get something in your leg. Cause that'll make your powers go away. Cause that's going to hurt too much. And you don't want to feel that. I, I just love this in so many ways because this also, I mean, it works on so many levels, but I think the biggest one is not only is it a, like a message of the season, which is essentially, you know, growing up and growing apart is inevitability, but it doesn't need to be that bad. Cause I think experiences good or bad inform who we are as a person but it's also a statement about the show you know to to the viewers almost saying like yeah these characters are growing up and the show is growing up as well it's a little different from what you remember and that's that's just the way that it is and it's it's inevitable and you know what we hope you're along for the ride and we hope you had fun with it but this is this is what's going to happen we're expressing our feelings good or bad comedic or dramatic you're going to be along for the ride and, and make sure you know you, you follow us out of that cave and into the sunlight so everyone's leaving they're moving away everyone's very sad uh mike gets a gets a hug from his mom and that's really it's it for karen wheeler so i just didn't do anything with karen wheeler yeah next time gadget next time i've been talking with my wife about this and she did you know draw some some interesting lines between like the karen wheeler in the first couple of of episodes when she sort of decides to uh not accept Billy's advances to the talk she has with Nancy, how maybe there was an epiphany that she had behind the scenes of, okay, I really do value my family. And the fact that, you know, this guy sort of manipulated me. Um, What does that say about me and my place in the world as a woman, which sort of inspired the talk that she had with Nancy. There's a a lot of connecting the dots in my opinion. And if that's the case, I really wish we just saw more of it. I just wanted more. I just, I like the actress. I like, I I think that there's potential for the character. I just want to see more of it. You know, if we're going to keep having Karen like prominently on the show, I just want it to be in a meaningful way. And I will also say, uh, when we do rewind for a second, Joyce pausing contemplatively staring at the door of her empty home. First, definitely hit me in the feels because that home has really just been like a totem of Stranger Things from both a setting perspective and like an event perspective. That's where the Christmas lights were. That's where the the Demogorgon was like bulging out in the walls. It was such a major landmark of the first three seasons to see it go is crazy. But in a callback to uh, one of her favorite shows that she used to watch with Bob, she has the sort of like Sam Malone moment where she stops, looks around and then metaphorically shuts off the lights and closes the door. Yeah. And that's it. That's the end of Stranger Things season three. That's the, the the very last final thing you see in season three. Not credits. There's some ash coming in. Oh my God! We're we're in Kamchatka, Russia, and there's an American prisoner here, and somebody else is getting taken out. He's getting thrown into the demi dungeon, and there's a demi gorgon. Yeah, so it's and it's not demi morgan. Oh boy, and it's not demi demi more. 
Rifkin or Demi Gordon was one that I felt like we missed. Demi, Demi James Gordon. Demi Jordan. It's the, it's, it's a Demogorgon. Yeah, and it's the, it's the first grown Demogorgon we've seen in a very long time. And, he, and, he, this is and he's Demi Gorgon on this uh, poor Russian prisoner. Yeah, so I know that you had talked about a couple episodes ago how you would have been a little miffed if we were reverted back to the Demi Gorgon from season one, because it does feel comparatively a bit small scale. And I thought the same thing at first, even though it was a sort of a cool uh, reveal where they had, you know, the Demi Gorgon walk out on all fours and we thought, okay, it's a demodog, and then it becomes bipedal. And you're like, oh, okay, this is a full-flayed Demogorgon. But I guess the the real uh intensity lies in the fact that it seems now russia is weaponizing them and i think that's going to make it scarier in the fact that not only do we now have these crazy fantastical demonic creatures but now they're in cooperation with this country and that is gonna be super scary as much as we talked about the russians being fuddy-duddy over the course of this season i think the fact that they are now apparently working or manipulating these creatures from the upside down makes them infinitely more frightening for what's to come if the if in the in the run-up to season four if you start to read interviews with people from the stranger things cast and crew saying you know when they're asked what's what are some of the pop culture touchstones for season four if you start hearing red dawn yeah maybe it's time to start pooping your pants or war games that means, <laughs> that means like demogorgons dropping into hawkins via parachute uh as commanded by the russians that's horrifying that's a horrifying prospect that's absolutely terrifying or if they start referencing uh, like the miracle on ice if we have Demogorgon skating off against, I don't know, a Steve-led Hawkins hockey team, that could be just as frightening. I think there's a lot of potential here. I think the wider scale implications are big of how Russia could use the the Demogorgon. Um, I like the idea of, uh, you know, what what's like the immediate story that's going to be told here uh, within this specific base. There's, I think that there's potential here. Uh, I like the potential that like, Maybe we could get to like a smaller, you know, I, we're talking pretty big, but I wouldn't mind seeing the show get a little smaller again. And is there something really scary to do with a single Russian Demogorgon? I think that there probably is. Um, so I think right now we're just kind of in this place where the possibilities are endless. And I, I do think it's cool to see the Demogorgon back. And that moment was really, really cool. And I think that they set it up pretty well. Yeah, especially uh, in, a, in, so a, in an episode it. that had a lot of callbacks back to like the first season. It was cool to sort of see that return because it was a nice touchstone and albeit in a very different setting. So, I mean, I think the thing that I really loved about this finale more so than the other two is that the other two felt like they're like, yeah, there's some stuff that could happen, but we're staying inside of Hawkins. This really said the possibilities were endless with where yeah. they're going, what's going to happen, what are they going to face off against, who's still alive. It makes things really, really exciting, and I think really lifted everyone's opinions. You know, go, going off of social media, it really seems like largely positive opinions about the season, particularly towards the ending. And it's not how you start, it's how you finish with a lot of pop culture. And they finish on a very, very high note, in my opinion, higher than a. Uh, Lamel L- L- sang during the never-ending story theme song. No, it's not not possible. Uh, I I will say just as one other thing. So they talk about there's an American prisoner here. Popular consensus that's Hopper. The other one that I'm I've thrown out there. Uh, what if that's Doctor Brenner? 
We haven't seen Matthew Modine in a very long time. We think, you know, the, the show makes you think that he's dead. He gets uh, a, a Demogorgon hops on top of him. But we, we know that the Mind Flayer occupies you know, you know, takes over bodies as hosts. We know that those hosts can retain some of their humanity. A flayed Dr. Brenner in like Russian captivity with all of the scientific know-how that he has, I feel like could be a very dangerous person for the mind flayer to have in another part of the world. So it's just a possibility that I've, that I've tossed out there, and I think it could be a potentially really cool way to get that character back into the mix if they're ever going to do that. Yeah, it was weird that, again, it really does seem like they just erased all mention of the Lost Sister episode, including that one, you know, doctor from Hawkins Lab past saying, oh, yeah, Brenner's still alive. I definitely thought we were going to see him in either Flashback or in Elle's mind over the course of this season. Turned out not to be, but if it's the case where they're giving him a rest so they could bring him back for season four, I am all for it. And like you said, the circumstances in which he would get brought back and possibly be in cooperation with the Mind Flayer is if we're looking at a Brenner Russia Mind Flayer coalition, that is the new axis of evil. I just don't think that there's like going to be like the the surfing the seven foot waves flashback that made like you know you sympathize with Billy a little bit like I don't think that something like that exists for Brenner. <laughs> yeah, his like, ice cream cone fell on the spot. sidewalk in a, his summer yeah. back you know when he was in Milwaukee and that's why he decided to grow up and torture children. Yeah, like I think that like there isn't going to be something like that for this guy. So for the mind flare to be bonded with an agent of pure chaos basically i i think would be would be cool i i would like to see that uh but these are all theoretical things we want to get your takes on everything that's the episode that's the season three finale mike wow. uh it's a lot i mean it's the longest episode of the season by far it's uh, almost a full hour and a half long. i mean it was it was the length of like uh, direct-to-DVD Disney movie. Uh, and there was a lot going on, which garnered a lot of discussion, but I think it's just because there was so much great stuff going on, and I thought it was such a fun wrap-up to all the stuff that was going on over the course of this season. I mean... I was elated to get to talk about this with you. The really great stuff, the stuff that made us laugh for both good and bad reasons. So and much. just the, yes. the way that things ended and the possibilities it's going to bring up. I really hope it's not a short, it's not a long amount of time before we are back again to talk about all these people scattered to the winds and to see what's to come with Hawkins and Canada and Russia possibly in season four of Stranger Things. All right, so we'll be having our feedback show. It is coming your way in just a little while. That's going to drop uh, July 24th. Not too late to get your feedback in. We've got some other shenanigans planned for that podcast. should be really fun, and that'll be our final Stranger Things podcast for the time being. Uh, thank you guys for joining us along the way. This has been absolutely ridiculous. Mike, this has been so much fun to do with you. Uh, it's just, it, I've, I have laughed very, very hard and very consistently over the recording of these podcasts. And we've got a little bit more uh, still to come. Yes, the pleasure, the so, pleasure was all mine, Josh. And I cannot wait for our mid season review of stranger things featuring Catherine oh, O'Hara as Mrs. Clickety Clackety yes. and Jason Alexander as her fuddy duddy husband. 
It's on the way. Send us your feedback, postshowrecaps.com slash feedback, or tweet at us at postshowrecaps on Twitter. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. I am at Round Howard. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, postshowrecaps.com slash stranger things. That way you won't miss the feedback show. Your ratings and reviews are greatly appreciated as well. Uh, Mike, anything else, or you want to you wanna save it for uh, our next and, and final Stranger Things? Yeah, let's podcast. save it like a nice canister of green goo that we will deposit into everyone's earbuds come uh, a few days from now, because we've got, All as right. Josh said, we've got a lot of kooky stuff coming up in true fashion for this podcast. Oh God! Oh God! I'm I'm bracing myself. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna strap onto the gravitron, and we're gonna oh, hope that it did, it goes better for us here than it no, did for me. No in Chinese grade. food. Twelve hours before we podcast, Josh. <laughs> oh my God! All right, here we go. See you later. Bye. <laughs> 